Hello, everyone. Um, as we kick off this episode, um, it's just, <laughs> it's really important for us because um, the season finale of Euphoria came out a few days ago. So we're actually starting this episode with a moment of silence um, for Ashtray. Um, I wish I knew the actor's name. I just don't pay attention that much, but we're going to just have a quick moment of silence. So if you could just stop what you're doing and be quiet for a second, but. Hey everyone, <laughs> and welcome back to the hit podcast series, Gen Zeal. Um, we had you shaking in your boots there for a second, didn't we? But I'll turn it over to Vahini to introduce our outstanding guest. Hello, everyone. Today, we are joined by someone that I deeply admire, Dio Coleman. She is a Sagittarius sun, a Gemini moon, and has decided to redact her rising sign. Um, in her free time, she enjoys pottery, playing The Sims, and has 10 gigabytes worth of custom content and mods for her Sims gameplay. Dio is a fourth-year student at the Mason Gross School of the Arts at Rutgers University and a filmmaker based in New Jersey. Welcome, Dio. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just, I was still in my moment of silence, so that brought me out of space, oh, right. but yes, thank you both so much for having me. I am so excited to be here. I have been dying to have my podcast moment since Gen Z <laughs> one episode one came out. So this is a true manifestation um, moment. So thank you again. You know what they say, dreams come true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've been waiting um, since season one, episode one. So it's only fitting that you're on season two, episode two. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Angel numbers, some would say. Anyway, yeah. um, are we ready? Are we ready to rock and roll? Let's rock and roll, everyone. <laughs> Let's rock and roll. Yeah. All right, um, Vahini, I think you have the first rapid fire. Yes, actually, that's true. So, Dio, this is an important question. Um, I feel like this isn't, you know, too shocking of a question for you as someone that's really educated in film. It's a real up and comer in the film industry um if you could erase either glee or hamilton two of the biggest projects that have ever really come out of this past century really um if you could erase either of those from public memory which one would you choose and why hmm i feel like i don't know i feel compelled to say hamilton because I think Lin-Manuel Miranda really hurt himself with his um, projects that came out after Hamilton because now it's like every single, it's like um, like Hamilton, Washington Heights edition, Hamilton, Canto <laughs> um, edition. Like, you know what I mean? Like everything sounds like Lin-Manuel. And I right. feel like even though like In the Heights and Encanto were great films and musicals for those who partake, Mm -hmm. I think it's so hard to really immerse yourself in the space because you're always hearing Lin-Manuel and right. that happened because of Hamilton. And I think Glee like was such an inappropriate show for us to be watching in what middle school. But honestly, I feel like it's given me so much content that <laughs> I, I don't think I would be the person I am today without Glee. And so for that, I'm going to have to say Hamilton's got to go. Yeah, I think I really appreciate that because, yeah, I really appreciate that because originally this podcast was going to be called Fondue for Two. So I think it's really important that that representation stays. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> um, so the next question. Um, so the 2020s so far have been kind of this era of the biopic. Like, I feel like every week we have a new biopic coming out. Um, this is pressing in my mind because I just finished um, Inventing Anna on Netflix, mm. um, which was okay. But if you had to write and produce a biopic about a pop culture... F I originally wrote Icon, but I'm going to say figure because <laughs> Icon's a strong word, but 
Um, what pop culture figure would you make a biopic about? Ooh, I'm going to have to nibble on this one for a moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I feel like um, this is tricky. I think I'm going to have to go with like Paris Hilton, but I wouldn't spin it in a way where we would like try to expose like all the offensive things Paris Hilton might have done. I do, I would want to try to explore how much of an impact she had on like Y2K and just the fact that like she's, I'm always fascinated by celebrities who have parents who are famous and the parents have other kids and the kids like play together and it's just like a big like famous pool of people and Paris Hilton I feel like was at the center of that like her and Drew Barrymore grew up together okay (laughs) so I would say yeah I would say Paris Hilton I think she's seen a lot of things and I would want to really tap into into her past and her experiences that makes a lot of sense I think that'd be really interesting um I've just been keeping up to date with like current Paris Hilton just because Mm. she's besties with um Kim Kardashian. I don't know if anyone's heard of my fascination with her. Um, Anyways, if a film was made about your life, um, usually you're the one filmmaking. um, Would like, would you prefer Sam Levinson to write, create, and direct it? Lin Manuel Miranda to write, create, and direct it, or? Ryan Murphy to write, create, and direct it. Oh. Um, Wow. What an honor. First and foremost. I feel like three white men. (laughs) The three white men of the apocalypse. But if anyone's going to do it, it's one of them. It has to be a white man. No, I feel like (laughs) there are two answers to this question. Like, one answer is, of course, like, I don't know I have I don't oh my gosh I'm just like getting so flustered at the thought of one of them directing my life story am I worthy enough oh my gosh I think I'm gonna have to go with D, <laughs> like none of the above <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah All I right. can give you a director who I would want though oh I would love that her name is Janixa Bravo she is the writer and director of Zola and several other great films. And I think I would be, I would be really curious to see how she would take my life and mm-hmm. spin it into a Janixa Bravo original. That's exciting. Um, of course, I was being incredibly silly with your first three <laughs> options. Um, I too, I think, would say none of the above, but... <laughs> I do appreciate that you turned it around and gave us a real answer. Thank I you. I do so want to much. provide some some material. You know, we could tag Janixa in this, and and this is this is how I started. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course, of course. Um, Dylan, you have the last question. All right. So two are deleted forever. One gets to stay. Twitter. Instagram and TikTok. Hmm. I think this is like the easy. I think it has to be Twitter, mainly because I think Twitter has done a really good job at understanding its purpose in like the social media sphere. Uh Instagram is like the first to go just because we've seen them try it and fail every single time. I follow so many people and I see three posts a day. Um, And I think TikTok is also heading down the route of trying to just, they're just oversaturating the market. Like the 60 second videos were cool. They were perfectly fine. The three minute videos we all got used to. And now I heard they're bumping it up to 10 minutes and I'm just- Like that's a TED talk. Exactly. The whole point was short form content. Exactly. There, 10 minutes is not a short period of time. Like the, my attention span is already so low. I can't even imagine like what video I would need to watch that would hold my attention on TikTok for 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> there are short films shorter than 10 minutes. Like <laughs> there are full stories told in less than 10 minutes. 
if we want to talk about it yeah so <laughs> we'll see so i'm gonna say i'm think uh twitter and then putting tiktok on on a ret- on a retainer like a we'll see what happens type of thing mm, yeah like you haven't quite like walked off the deep end but you're getting mm-hmm. close exactly 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that was the most like respectfully rapid rapid fire <laughs> session we've had. So, I'm so excited to actually talk to you about the reason that you are here, which is about your art and your filmmaking. Um, so I think an important place to start is to you um what is art? You exist with art in academic spaces and creative spaces and personal spaces. So what is that thing that you're carrying with you um, in all of these places? Yeah, um, I think I think first and foremost, art is definitely an emotion um, over anything else. I I have recently been looking at the way we consume art and the way that art is um, pushed out amongst broad audiences. And I think like one thing that connects us all at the root, and that's really fascinating. Fascinating is art for the artist can be a way of grieving or healing or reconciling and art for the consumer can also be a way of grieving healing and reconciling but can also be a way of them being brought into being them being forced to grieve if that makes sense so it's mm-hmm. it's like my my way of putting out this project is to to come to to find closure with the situation while you are finding my situation and also connecting with it too and and reaching your own conclusion finding your own closure through it so I I feel like we we try to make art seem more abstract than it really is but it's just another way for humans to connect and through that find and experience some emotions that they haven't been experiencing or maybe my grief is your comedy and vice versa so I think that that would be my answer for what art is. That is super like profound and remarkable. And I really appreciate that like so much. I I'm more of a consumer of art. And I think, you know, what you've said in that, like it is the artist's own process of, you know, life and living and Mm -hmm. moving on. Um, And like, as an audience, we just happen to find it at the right time. I think Mm -hmm. that like, you're right in terms of like it's something that we connect with but it also is so um contingent on when we find it there are Mm -hmm. there are songs that I've heard a million times that I don't resonate with or care for until I hear it in a moment where I'm you know where I actually need that or Mm -hmm. there are shows that I'm sure I would have found boring um if I didn't come across them at a certain time so I think you know, that's really interesting and exciting to have this definition of it being a bridge of, you know, connecting people and being what, you know, people might need for different reasons, but for some reason at the same time. Um, Thank you. Yeah, totally agree. Um, And another place that I want to go. So I have come to know you within this past year. Um, I've seen your short films on Instagram that you've posted um and something that I'm just I'll watch them on loop I'll like return to them because I think what's something that's super special that you do is that you take very like daily or normal moments um and you just make them so stunning so beautiful and that's not even an exaggeration um the way that you fill them with like music and beauty is so like special and unique um so I'm kind of curious to know like how what's your process in deciding what moments you decide are art to you and what moments do you decide are worth exploring yeah I feel like um well that's well thank you one for those really kind words (laughs) I really appreciate it um I feel this is a really interesting question um that's definitely forced me to think more about like you said why um one thing that I really am trying to get better at as I start to more emerge in this film space more is intention. Um, and when you like, and with intention, like I'm always researching and breaking down films and reading scripts and watching the interviews as to why directors chose this shot or why they didn't choose this shot, um, if they missed something, etc. And intention is always at the root of that. And so in the conception of of the projects that I 
that I try to do and projects that I will be doing in the future, I always want to make sure that there is a why and a through line between everything that we're seeing. And so even watching the projects that I have up on my Instagram back, like I've already seen how much I've grown and I'm already pointing out like, oh, I could have stayed on this shot a little longer. We could have sat with this or we could have explored this subject outside of their eyes. Um, But going back to the question, I think the way that I decide and choose to breathe moments into into specific instances and people, it really kind of comes up as we're shooting. Um, I'll hit up my DP, his name's Miguel, and we kind of are, we partnered up and we shoot everything together and I'll send him a mood board of visuals that I want to get and I'll find someone who I think is really cool and artistic or I just want to talk to and get to know and connect with um, and we'll kind of create this space centered around them, centered around what they can do and what they bring um, to this world and from there, a lot of a lot of our shoots have been like run and gun, like we're in a studio and then we're like on the streets of Brooklyn. So it's really on the fly, just trying to capture these moments that feel that feel regular to us, but like you said, can also also play out in a really poetic way. Like there's one project I did, we were shooting on a subway for a long time, and I was trying to picture like what does a subway like what does a subway mean like why am I shooting on the subway like it it feels like such a um cliche to like get a get a train shot but for me the purpose of shooting on a subway was my experiences on the subway where when I get on there like I'm very alert but I'm also trying to really ground myself in my little bubble and trying to protect that bubble and so through that I wanted to kind of um emulate that experience of being on a subway through my subject. And so he gets on the subway and it's all very high paced and fast and we're moving really quickly. And then he closes his eyes and we start to breathe for a little bit. And in that breath, he is grounding himself. And by the time we return to the subway, he is now ready to, to conquer whatever he, he is trying to conquer in the real world. Um, I hope that answers the question. I know I, I spoke a lot about that. Oh, it totally did. And like, <laughs> I know exactly the clip you're talking about because I watched it like a couple weeks ago again. And yeah, like... I just watched it like a few days ago. So I was, <laughs> it's like fresh in the brain. <laughs> it's like done so well. And like, I've been in a New York City subway and not only have I had that like feeling, I also know that it's not as pretty as and beautiful, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you're not ready to take in the beauty um, of it. And like you do a miraculous job of like between the music the lighting the shot it's just like i have never seen a subway look like that except for that's exactly <laughs> what the subway looks like and so like like since i've seen that video it came out a while ago you know i look at the subway like that now and it's it's so powerful like how you can do that but um no you're you're so good at what you do thank you i hope to to continue to get better for sure it's something that I've always kind of wondered just because like being, I guess, interested in film, like enjoying film is like you as the creator, mm-hmm. um, you as like the originator of this, like what does your process look like in deciding what stories you want to tell? Um, do you draw inspiration from like your your life, the life that you live? Um, like how do you like, yeah, what does that process look like for you? Yeah, I think for me, a lot of the inspiration I get is from music. Like, I think that's where like 80% of my ideas come from is because I'm listening to a song and then I'm picturing like, okay, what kind of cool things could be happening to this song? Um, And I'll write to that and then I'll listen to that song on repeat and it like messes up with my Spotify wrapped every year but it's just <laughs> uh it's it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make um so music plays a really big inspiration and I'm also really inspired by photos which I think is I guess ironic as like a film as a uh, quote-unquote filmmaker is like you you'd expect to find the inspiration from the movies but I think pictures also can tell a movie in itself um so I'm always on Pinterest. I'm always like looking at these pictures. I'm saving things on Instagram. Recently, I've been inspired by a lot of like mid-century modern architecture. So like that's where I think a lot of um, influence will be coming into my work is trying to accomplish that like aesthetic and feel. But um, from there, I think I'll find a picture. I'll find an Instagram. I'll find a um, 
I'll find a picture, I'll find like a clip of something, anything that sparks inspiration, a song, and I'll send it out to the people that I work with and I'll be like, I want to do this. And it, it sounds so elaborate and they're like, okay, Daya, like here she goes again. Um, <laughs> and then I, I, I guess from there, I just try to piece it together and make it work. And I try to fit people into it and work with people to make it a work that is of collaboration and of community um, and something that we've, we've built together. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of my work is inspired by music and pictures. And I wouldn't, I guess I wouldn't really say from my personal life um, because I am still pretty young and I'm still also exploring and trying to figure out who I am. And I think I have like done my best to avoid trying to explore and figure out who I am through my art, because that I feel like that is just a very like heavy thing to do. And I don't think I'm there yet, but I know that when I get there, I can only imagine how much deeper um, my work will be and my creativity will be when I'm able to really, really dive deep and be as vulnerable as I want to be. Um, and kind of remove those blockages but for now pictures of music pictures of music um I actually have a question for you um regarding like your sources of inspiration mm-hmm. um I'm kind of curious because like again as a student you're required to like meet like you're required to produce and create on a on someone else's schedule on someone else's mm-hmm. timeline um and it's like interesting to me that like or I'm kind of curious to know, how do you find inspiration when maybe, I mean, we're all human. We're not always inspired or excited by the world around us. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious to know, is it like a discipline for you? Or like, how do you, you know, enter a headspace where you're constantly looking for inspiration, you're constantly inspired, or you're like ready to create um, as you're needed to create? Yeah, I think... Being in film school, like you said, we are creating on someone else's deadline, which I can can personally tell when I was passionately invested in a a project and when I was not, when I was just trying to like, just get the assignment done. Um, And I think that, I don't know, I think that has hurt me and helped me in a way. I think it's hurt me in a way where um, it's really easy for me to just push something out and just get it out there. And I know that it won't be great. It won't be that good, but it'll, it'll pass. It'll be palatable, I guess you could say. Um, and I think it's hard to kind of shut that off when it, when I really want to dive into something and really start to build it up to what I want it to be. I think as young adults, we are still naive. And so we go into this world with a lot of ambition regarding our careers and our creative endeavors, relationships, friendships, whatnot. Um, And so I have struggled a bit with trying to dial that ambition down when it comes to these school projects, because my parents always tell me like, you just need to graduate. You don't got to go to the Oscars with this one. And like, it's hard for me to be like, no, I'm going all the way with this. (laughs) Like, it's going to be the biggest budget ever for a little class assignment. Um, But I I think it's been also really helpful because it's allowed me to see myself when I am so invested in something. Like, it's it's so easy for me to say like, okay, I'm in it now. Like, I'm ready to go. This idea is flowing through me. And I get so much more passionate and excited about it because I know that it's something that is coming from me and it's coming from me on my own time. It's not coming from me on someone else's time. Um, but I, I, I would really love to be able to, to just create the things I want to create when I want to create them without anyone's expectations or deadlines um, tied to them. So a couple more months and then we'll be there. <laughs> yeah. I'm and so I think that's, that. I think that's really cool. And I think it kind of ties in a lot, like what Vahini and I say about this podcast mm-hmm. of like, we do this for ourselves, mm-hmm. but like, I think even we would say like, there's a value in having an audience so like even if it's just even if it's your professor reviewing or professor I don't even know if that's the right term when you're in film school but um is it (laughs) yeah I would say all my all my professors don't like being called professors so I call them by their first name but I would say I guess instructor would be like a better a better word okay yeah But like there is value in having your even your instructor being an audience member so what Mm -hmm. have you like learned is the value in having an audience and like what do you does that kind of curate how you think about your art 
is who is the audience for this? Yeah. Um, yeah, it actually has. I think when I am in the ideas phase of something that I want to work on, like the question I always ask myself is, who is this for? And if it's for a particular community, like, am I, am I hitting it on the nose? And am I, am I giving this art out in a way that will be received accurately and positively by the community that I want to target? Um, I think like in terms of a classroom setting, having an audience is a little different because the audience is there solely for critiques, um, which at first, like when I first got into film school, I was like, oh my gosh, like, please like tell me, like, shut up. Like, what are you talking about? Like, this is, this, this angle was bad or it was too loud. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. This is mine. Um, but over time, as I have matured, um, I have noticed that all my best work comes with notes and like, it's bad if there are no notes, like it's bad if someone's like, this was amazing and that's it. Um, so when I am like in the editing phase, I send it out to the people that I trust the most in terms of being able to give me that critique. And they'll, I mean, they'll really lay it out for me and they'll be very, very honest. And in the moment, I'm like, I am, my feelings are a little hurt because I'm an artist and we're all sensitive beings. So we are protective over the things that we produce and create. Um, but then when it's finished, I'm like, wow, like I really appreciated that because it only made me better. So when it comes to, but yeah, going back to the question, when it comes to having like a specific audience and how do I determine what audience I want to challenge, what, what audience I want to penetrate. Um, I think a lot of it is I'm really, I'm really focused on creating art for black queer and black people in general. I think that is kind of the community that I want to, that I am a part of and the community that I want to rest in. And I just want to be able to make art for an audience that allows them to be able to exist on their own terms or see someone who looks like them or someone who they want to be where they want to be near or envy or hate or they're jealous of or they love or they trust on screen um, and be able to connect my people through that. So that is kind of, that is the audience that I always think of whenever I'm creating something is, is how is this for them and how can I make it about them and bring them onto the project? I think that's like a perfect segue um, when you mention your community, your black community, your black queer community, because I'm kind of curious to know, um, and you had mentioned that you're a part of these communities. Um, what, like through your identity, do you feel that you've given to film, to art in general? Um, like what has your blackness, your queerness like brought to this space? And what has this space given you in terms of nourishing those parts of you? Um, mm. I'm, I'm really interested to know about that relationship that you have. Yeah, well, I'll start with the second question. Um, I grew up in the suburbs suburbs of New Jersey. And so there's one, not a lot of black people. And two, there's not a lot of black queer people. And if there are, they were probably just trying to get by. And so I knew that I was kind of not, I don't want to say not like most girls, because that sounds so... <laughs> like... Dio just tucked her hair behind her ear. Yeah, I was about to say, are we sure Dio doesn't have Aquarius in her chart somewhere? Because that was straight out of an Aquarius. <laughs> no, you just put up like a Debbie Ryan, the Debbie Ryan picture. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that I was I knew that I was different and I think growing up in the time that we grew up we were still we just still didn't have the the language to be able to justify and give us the words to be able to explain who we are so I just kind of took it as like okay I'm a little you know I'm a little different and that's kind of what it is and then as I got to high school like that started to kind of realize itself more and it became harder to ignore but I still tried to repress it and so as I started to kind of realize what this feeling was, I started to look for examples. And the way that I looked for examples was through Instagram and through YouTube and social media. And all I saw was one, how beautiful my black queer and trans community are, is are, but two, how creative they are. And I think that only made me want to tap into that more because that is like, that's me. Like, that's me right there. I want to be a part of that. I want someone else who is still trying to figure themselves out to find my work and to find healing in my work, to find language in my work. Um, and so I think that is kind of what art has given me. 
um, what I have given art, I feel, I feel like that's something that I can't answer. I think, I don't know. I feel like it would be too, it wouldn't be an authentic answer for me to justify what I have given to art. I think that is something that someone else would have to tell me in, in the moments when they have received my art um, because it is different for every single person. So everyone has a different experience. If you like it, you like it. And if you don't, you don't. But that is your answer to decide. I can only hope that I have given art a space for love and compassion um, at the end of the day. What a beautiful yeah. answer. They, like, they, I'm like genuinely like so grateful that you like engaged with that because I think it's important for people to hear that. And um, that definitely struck me and it struck, you know, the way that I look at you and the way that I receive your art. So thank you for that. Thank you. So something that I was kind of was coming up as you were talking about that is um, we talk about like how art changes us or how art changes the world or how, um, I mean, you as a creator, how you play into that. Um, but just generally speaking, do you think that all art has this like inherent impetus for social change like is all art even if not consciously participating in some greater narrative about society um or um do you think that there is such thing as art just for art's sake like it it, it is detached from the reality that we live in i feel like hmm. i feel like art is I think it can exist for art's sake, but I think we have gotten to a place in society in terms of everyone has an opinion on something where art can't just exist for art's sake anymore. There's always like a deeper meaning. And I'm sure like, you know, you could show someone a picture of a canvas and it's painted all blue. And I'm sure they could come up with like a 12 page essay breaking down the size of the canvas and why we chose this shade of blue and what the blue represents and, and how that affects the viewer and the, and the lighting that hits the blue and, and the position it's in, in the studio. Like, I think there are so many layers to art that people try to peel back to kind of justify why they deserve to be able to have the space to speak on art. Um, but I think, I, but I, I do also think that art unconsciously and consciously can provide social change and, and does impact society in a way where, you know, if someone, I watched this documentary once on um, a native tribe out West, I think it was um, an indigenous tribe. I'm sorry. And I had never, you know, living in New Jersey, I don't really experience a lot of indigenous people and a lot of indigenous culture, even though New Jersey like prides themselves on that. It's not super, it's not, you have to find it. You have to go searching for it. Um, but it was like through the, watching this documentary, I realized I, I got to experience a new culture and a new community. And I got to, ha I got to restructure my, my stance and my opinions and my, the way that I spoke about certain things re related to that community, because I now was able to see it. And now I was able to, to have compassion toward more, more compassion towards them than I already did have. And I think there are like I said earlier, like art for the artist can be a way of grief and a way of healing. And so through their grief and through their healing, they are always teaching someone. They're always showing something, someone new. There are people who have never met a black person in their life. I've never come into contact with black people. And the way that they do is through, is through media. And so it's up to us to be able to, to show who we really are outside of the stereotypes that the media has tried to paint for us. And so I think for, especially for marginalized groups, art is definitely a way of trying to, trying to show, um, trying to show. So yes, if that answers the question. Um, I actually have a question, you know, the way that you've been talking about the way of art being a medium of grief and healing and connection. Um, if you like could think back to like, maybe like young Dio or like even if it's like two years ago Dio like or last week Dio um <laughs> like what is a piece of art and I think like we can all talk about this like what is that piece of art that you maybe realized was like speaking to you like I think like 
there's a moment where we transition from like observing the art to like actually genuinely like interacting with the art and like personally for me that comes in like when I want to gatekeep something I'm like oh that's for me like when I'm like I can never show this song to anyone because it's my special song (laughs) or the opposite where it's like I need everyone to hear this song I need everyone to watch this show because it's a way that I want to connect with people like I think like that's when I realize that I'm not observing this I'm connecting with it like Mm -hmm. what does what does that look like for you or when did you realize like that that's a feeling that you had um, and maybe like what the piece was yeah um I think anyone who has had a film class with me or has worked with me on a film is probably so tired of me bringing up Moonlight by Barry Jenkins (laughs) I love Moonlight let's talk about it but Moonlight definitely oh my gosh it opened my eyes it opened my eyes so much it opened my eyes to who I was to who I wanted to be and to the the thing type of things that I wanted to create and it's like I think there's definitely a clear line of like my art before Moonlight and then my art after Moonlight (laughs) and um I love that film so much and I think it's definitely something that of course I want people to see but it's like it was for (laughs) but it's like of course it's mine like it's my film (laughs) um but from my finding of Moonlight I started looking at tons of like interviews from the actors from the author of the book from Barry Jenkins I started I read the script I picked the script apart um and I can definitely, I see the influence that Moonlight has had in who I was. And then I think more recently, going back to Janixa, I would also say Zola. Like, that Zola is a movie that I want everyone to watch. Like, it, I think it was so brilliantly done. And I think it, it really helped and impacted me as a filmmaker because it's like, you take Moonlight and you take how that was created structurally and then you take Zola and you take how that was created structurally and it's like something that I want to kind of try to mesh together um, in terms of the writing style and like I'm, I'm just blown away by Barry Jenkins and Janixa and how like I read the script I'm like how did you think of that like I try to picture myself like in the writer's room like like did you just come back from the bathroom and you're like okay and now Zola's gonna do this or did you just come back like from a off a flight and you're like okay and now you know I'm gonna have Little and Juan have this conversation at the beach I think stuff like that is so beautiful and so that is definitely how I would say what was the question (laughs) (laughs) you were getting there you were getting there I was trying trying to bring it home (laughs) um no I, I like just about like that moment where you're like where you realize you're like engaging with the art and it's yours and it's speaking to you um, I mean, if you have more to add, but I think you were really getting it. You were, you I were think, all up in it. No, I keep going. <laughs> I can keep going. Oh, boy, do I have more to say. Um, no, I think, yeah, I think that is, those are two examples of some works that I saw um, that I've watched multiple times that I could say that I've been able, that I've been able to, like, put up in front of me and say, okay, I want to create something not necessarily in line with that, but I want to, I want my work to be digested in the way that I digested theirs, if that makes sense. Mm. I'm like actually curious, Dylan, do you, like what is, what are your like pieces? Um, I just keep thinking about music mm. and I feel like some big ones for me and like call it basic, call it what you want. But like, I feel like Lord's melodrama, like I, can starkly draw in my life like my life before (laughs) experiencing that album and my life after um just because I don't know I felt like I don't know I felt like not growing up but I just felt like it I feel like what what we're um what we're boiling it down to is when artists in whatever form are able to articulate things on your behalf that you prior to didn't have the facilities to articulate Mm -hmm. and i just think that like a lot of the narratives used in that album um i mean i wasn't even someone who like partied in high school like i didn't like party a lot and like that album beginning to end is the story of a party um but i think like just a lot of the themes that are discussed um of longing um of like lost love of um yeah i just think that like those are things that like 
prior to that album, I didn't have the facilities within myself to articulate or understand my feelings about those things. But I don't know. I think it gave me some perspective on life. Like no matter how um, like chuggy that's, I don't know if it's chuggy, but like no matter <laughs> no, how like, not. no matter how like annoying that sounds. Cause I, here's the thing. I know everyone loves that album. Like it's just because it's good music. Um, but I don't know. I just felt like that is, I think also what really helped is um, I went and saw her in concert like during Mm. that world tour and so I think like that also played a factor into it but I don't know I just felt like that there was like a clear line of between like before and after which is kind of like I mean when Dio was talking that was like something that stuck out like that you have you you can think about your life in terms of before moonlight and after it Mm -hmm. what are you Vahini I think, like, again, like, the way that Dai was, like, everyone in my life is sick of me talking about Moonlight, I feel like everyone within, like, a million mile radius of me is sick of me talking about Fleabag, but, like, my my life is so defined by pre-Fleabag, post-Fleabag, um, I, this is actually February of 2022 is the first the first month since I first watched Fleabag that I haven't rewatched Fleabag. Like, I rewatch Fleabag so often. And I think, like, for me, what it is is, like, I, like, so I was talking about, Di- talking to Di about this, like, earlier. Like, sometimes to help me cope with my life. I was about to bring that up. <laughs> like, like, I'm so serious. Like, I'm, like, and I did this before Fleabag, which is why I think I was, like, oh, my God, I'm being seen. Like, the way I cope with my life is pretending that, like, I'm in a sitcom. And sometimes I have to, like, deadpan to a camera. And the way that, like, Fleabag, like, is constantly speaking, like, in, like, breaking the fourth wall, I'm, like, okay, like, this, like, I'm in here somewhere. And I think, like, what... Phoebe Waller Bridge does really well with Fleabag is like she presents every single character as so complex and like everyone is hurting, everyone is in pain, everyone is so funny, everyone is so loving, or at least everyone wants love and everyone wants to give it and share it. And I think like she does something so unique in capturing what it is to be human and like what it is to like grieve and hurt. While also, like, allowing there to be space for, like, shit to be funny. Like, like sometimes it's not always, like, there doesn't have to be reasons or, an- like, there's so many unanswered, like, moments or, like, not tied up perfectly moments. Or sometimes, like, shit really just stinks in that show. But, like, it's so well done and, like, the dynamic between the characters. And- I could talk about Fleabag all the time. But, yeah, <laughs> Fleabag, like, Fleabag is my, like, you know, I think the way that, like, you dissect like moonlight like i have the fleabag scriptures like on my bookshelf like i'm looking at it right now which is like the script in her writing um <laughs> i i don't like I, like your reaction is like surprising to me because you find it so funny and i guess it is funny but um yeah no i'm definitely a fleabag girl i think like with so one thing that we're taught in our very in the very early stages of being a filmmaker in uh particular screenwriting is like you're always you're never supposed to be nice to the main character like my prof- we would write something in class and my professor would be like um you have to, like he would send it, he would give it back to us and make us rewrite it and be even meaner to our main character and i don't like i i know that of course that makes a great drama and it makes something like mm-hmm. interesting to watch but i don't think that's how we treat humans in real life like it doesn't it makes it too cinematic it makes it too film like when the character can't get a win or like if it it has like nothing can have a happy ending anymore because if it has a happy ending no one will watch it but I think in reality when we start to look at humans lives and how they interact like there are many ups and downs and sometimes you win and sometimes you lose and I think Fleabag does a really good job at balancing that um that uh, balancing that point of like, okay, how do I hurt my main character? But then also, how do I help them? How do I show them that they are still loved through it all? Um, so I like that you brought up food, Fleabag for sure. Oh, we can, we can talk about Fleabag all day, <laughs> anytime. Um. She has the script. 
You want to start reading it for us? This podcast series right? could just be a, a reading. Interior. I was like right. fully fleabag for Halloween. People were like, how are you fleabag for Halloween? Like, homegirl is just a normal person. Like, there's no way to be fleabag for Halloween. One day, one time I wrote um, in high school for Halloween, I, I got a cardboard sign and I wrote, this is my Halloween costume. And I just put it around my neck. You're and so like... lame for that. I would have, like, I literally... If I went to the same school as you, I would have been so intimidated by how much you wouldn't have cared about Halloween. Like, I would have just <laughs> not dressed up or, like, dressed up. Because, like, I feel like you have to commit. To- I'm someone that, like, commits to the bit. It's one or like, the other. Like, that, like, yeah, but, like, the halfway point of, like, acknowledging that you should be in costume. But then also <laughs> indicating that you don't care enough that you just got a cardboard, like, sign and just wrote it and wore, like. It's like that one, it's like the classiest middle finger that you can give to Halloween. Like, that would have shaken me to my core. Like that would have fully, like I would have. As you known. walked down the hallway, like in full costume, <laughs> she would have defined her life to before and after seeing you in that moment. Like that—that's been... the impact that this would have had. No, I would have been so shaken. I'd be like, who? And like, it would have been more shaking to me if like you weren't like because you're. Like, as far as I know you, you're not, like, an apathetic person. Like, I feel like when apathetic people do that kind of thing, like, I'm just like, oh, okay, like, on brand. Like, they're just whatever. I would have been like, what What message is this? Like, I would have tried to, like, dissect it. Did like, I miss, like, did I miss a protest or? <laughs> no, literally, I would have been like, what is Dio trying to tell me right now? <laughs> like, Dio blink once. Like, I would have, like, <laughs> well, <laughs> like, I think. Like, in terms of, like, Halloween, Dylan, you're, you're gonna have to weigh in on this. My most okay. absurd, like, I've had many absurd Halloween moments, many insane ones. My parents were sometimes, like, too supportive in, like, me, my, like, self-expression. Um, in the seventh grade, I got invited to my very first, like, party, like, ever. Like, Halloween, it was a Halloween party. And it was one of the cool girls, and she literally was, like, you have to dress up. It's so lame when people don't dress up, right? And, like, I was, like, right there with her. I'm, like, what's the point, right, of, like, having a Halloween party if no one's – then it's just a party at the end of October. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what the costume was until no, the rest. No, you have to. So, so I go there in full costume, and people are around in, like, the Cookie Monster hoodie. They got the, like, Minnie Mouse ears. <laughs> Oh yeah, and I just know I. You don't even need to finish the story because I know you've committed to the bit. Like I know you're like in in my in my mind. I imagine you're George Washington, but like you're in prosthetics. Like you have the wooden teeth, you have the wig, you have the full costume, and it's not just like it's not just like some cute little costume. I'm talking like you have you are in a period piece. Like, with the whole, like, the whole constitution in hand that you typed up mm-hmm. and printed out and then teabagged so it looked like it was from the time period. <laughs> so what's really, like, sh- like what's really, like, messing with me right now is, like, you're not completely off at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I was... Well, it's because we know you. Right. <laughs> I was Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> oh, no. Not at this. Seven- not at this. At a seventh grade... Like middle of puberty, <laughs> Halloween costume. You show up the most hormonal phase of our life. You show up as Edgar Allan Poe. That was a choice. That was expecting a choice. an invite for next year's <laughs> Halloween. <laughs> I never was invited to a party after that. But 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 mm, but mm. I had the fake mustache. I had a raven on my shoulder that kept falling. <laughs> the mustache and the raven kept falling. I kept putting it back. Like, at no part of the night, I was like, oh, I can just leave it. Like, I was like, I kept, like, bending over and picking up this fallen raven and putting it back on my shoulder. And then, like, the parents... Because without the pe- without the mustache and the raven, like, who were you? I was just a girl in a suit. I was, I was just a girl in a suit. And, like, and, like, the parents kept being, like, like, oh, sweet, like, who are, like... And, like, you know, it's always embarrassing when no one knows who you are, right? So they would guess. And everyone thought I was Charlie Chaplin. And instead of just taking it, right? Because it's not insane, right? Like, minus the Raven, like, yeah. But I kept getting so, like, 
no like i'm obviously like no i'm edgar Allan poe and like I the american writer Allen. poet editor and literary <laughs> critic like <laughs> <laughs> like get it together people no I, I i thought they were crazy like i was like i was like clearly mm-hmm. like did you not go to seventh grade like did um, the black cat like did you not know january 19th boston massachusetts that's where he was born edgar Allan poe like literally like his whole know, family like, died of tuberculosis like get it together people <laughs> no and like i thought like no part of me was like oh i shouldn't have like like i went too far like in my head i was like i'm the only one that followed the assignment like the hostess had Mm -hmm. one request and i'm the only one that like respected those like i thought i was a shoe-in for like future invites Um, you you set the standard someone lied to her several times someone lied to her several times (laughs) um yeah okay that was my Dylan, do you, before we keep it pushing, do you have any Halloween memories? Um, I just remember, quick Halloween memory, I just remember that from first through, like, fifth grade, like, all of elementary school, I just remember I, like, me and my family, um, we're just really late, and, like, we do, we're procrastinators, we do everything late. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember every single year I was the Red Power Ranger, and it's because <laughs> I would go to Rite Aid, because I'm from a small country town, so all we had at the time, all we had was a Rite Aid. And so I'd go to the Rite Aid, and literally the only costume available left would be the Red Power Ranger. So literally, like, from six to however old you are in fifth grade, I was the Red Power Ranger at school every single it's, year. But the the, the, the embarrassing part... It. Like, you bought it every yeah, year. Yeah, the like embarrassing part is, is like, I kept... It was different <laughs> costumes every year. That was the embar- That's the embarrassing part. <laughs> You established a brand. I, I I respect that honestly. I know. Like yeah, um, yeah a simple man, a simple. Man. <laughs> um, okay. I want to get back. I want to get back to the task at hand. Um, so I guess like to like just a couple like moments left. I guess like if you like in however many years from now, many decades, like a million years from now. You like look back from wherever dimension you're in, and your and you get to look back on your work and you get to look back on how it was received. Like it's all done. Like there's nothing left to be done and such, and and it's been received. It's been, you know, digested and such. Like what would you hope that all of that work and community building and your like legacy, like if it was just amassed to one message from you one truth that you wanted to share like what would you want that to be oh wow this is a very good question and it's like one of those questions where it's like am I too young to answer but uh, if I put myself if I speak from where my heart is at now I would think that at the end of it all and what I would want the message to be, or I guess like the takeaway too would be, I think it would, I think it would be love. Like, I honestly, it sounds cheesy, but I think it would be love. I think love, love, it's love expresses itself as a form of forgiveness and compassion for each other. And it's at the root of everything. It's universal and it never changes. And I think like with everything, I hate being like with everything that's going on, but literally with everything that's going on, we are, are constantly losing the, that, that we're constantly losing the fact that love is at the root. And I wish that we lived in a world that led with love a little more and led with compassion a little more and so I think I want I want to be able to make art for many reasons, but I think one thing I would want to leave as a message is that love exists here. It exists in the things that I'm creating. And you know, you might go into this not really knowing about the the sub the subject and where they come from and and who I'm trying to connect with through that subject. Um, you might go into this like with a really negative viewpoint on this subject or on this story, and you come out of that willing to learn, willing to be wrong, having more compassion and understanding. 
and just kind of having a gentle, a more gentle heart. Um, and I think that all ties into love. So that, that would be my answer. I, I definitely like share so many of the same perspectives as you and like what you just shared and like I I think you're right in like the way that you describe love and I know you're right actually with the way that you describe love and I think like for you to say like for people to leave with a more gentle heart um after consuming your work is such a like bold and important and like big hope that I'm so hopeful um will be achieved um with your work um I, I think I think that's that's a big one and that's a an important one, um, and I think that leads us to like our last thought that um, Dylan and I like wanted to ask. I think like as young people, people older people um, have a lot to say about oh you'll grow out of that or you're too idealistic right now or once you live more life like you'll learn you'll change or whatever. But I think like sitting here right now at like twenty one or twenty two year old Dio um what 23 i'm 23 okay sorry <laughs> 23 year old, 23 year old dio um i think like what right now is your strongest conviction that you hope will remain to be your strongest conviction and something that you don't lose yeah um i think my biggest thing, I have a couple big things, always a big thing, and I'll, I'll go through a couple of them. I think my first big thing is collaboration is very important to me. And I, as someone who is Black and has a feminine presenting body and is also queer, those are like three, like I'm, a, I'm in a pretty, you know, marginalized group, like the odds are kind of stacked against me. And in this field that is so he- heavily pow- overpowered by cis, straight, white men, when it comes to collaboration, rightfully so, I always understand the hesitancy behind properly crediting the people that you collaborate with or feeling open to ask for help or feeling open to ask for like, and say like, hey, I really like the things that you make and I want to bring it onto my project. Um, and so I've been kind of, I've been really trying to figure out what that means to me and how that how that manifests in my world and in my art and in my space. And I think the only thing with that is like, I can only be better by who I bring into and onto these projects. And all that goes to show is that like, it was still me. Like I, you know, I did that. I brought them on. I saw them and I thought how amazing they are. And I want that amazing talent on my project too. So I am just as great as them. Like, you know, I, I hosted the dinner party. Like it was me, you know? So I can still feel comfortable in collaborating with people. And that is something that I always want to, always want to do. I always want to create with others. I always want to collaborate. I always want to see how I can bring on other people onto this project to only make it better. Um, I think another thing that I always want to stay with me, there's a, a bell hooks quote and it goes like, goes fear will no longer stand in the way. Um, and when I let fear will no longer stand in the way. And when I let my light shine, I, I draw to me and I'm drawn to other bearers of light. And that has kind of been my mantra as I've been going through this process and just trying to figure out who I am and where I lay on this timeline of life is that I can do hard things and I might be scared, but I have to do them scared because they have to get done. Um, and the only good things can come from that. Only light can come from that. And through the thing, through the few things that I have posted, I've seen the opportunities that I've been given. I've seen the engagement that it's received, and I know that it's reaching people. And I'm a lot, and I have to, sh- I have to share it. I have to get it out. And it can be liked, and it can be disliked, but that is not for me to decide. But it has to be released because if I don't release it, I'm blocking energy and I'm preventing new ideas and new growth from coming in. Um, and I think the third thing is I have like my little creator's notebook and I wrote it down in the beginning of the notebook. And so I'll read that. But like this, this is my reminder for why I want to do what I do and something that I hope to always be grounded in. Um, and it, 
<clears throat> I'm sorry, I just coughed into the mic. And it reads, do it loud and do it scared. I will be making art that is audacious and ensures that revolution and liberation persist. persist. My art will interrogate and actively challenge the systems that don't include my people. My art will always center my people, my Black, queer, and trans brothers and sisters. Creativity flows naturally to me. My heart and my intentions are pure, and it shows through what I create. I will never forfeit who I am. These ideas deserve my attention, and we have to create a narrative and story so powerful that it combats the ones that we exist within today. And that is something that I always hope to carry with me as I continue to create in the future. There's no words. There are literally <laughs> just no, there are no, like, okay, bye. Like, <laughs> that's, like. No, like, your vulnerability and honesty. First of all, like, Bell Hooks, oh. Chef's Kiss, never oh, fails. Legend. Le- like, you drew me like- in with collaboration, but then when you brought up Bell Hooks, I was like, oh, now we're really here to party. Like, let's <laughs> like, get into it. <laughs> I'm like still digesting everything and like the thing that is like still like going like around in my brain is like you said I hosted this dinner party and that is so important like in all work because I think we as in any field in any field any work anything as activists as organizers as artists as as professionals there's this fear of collaboration and there's this fear of, you know, of course, like the work, you know, when our heart is pure, our intentions are pure, it's never about the credit, but it becomes scary working with other people because what gets compromised? What do we lose? And, you know, is it always worth what we gain? Mm -hmm. And I think like describing it as I hosted this dinner party, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be fruitful. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, all of those intentions are there and it, it's always, you know, the honor to be the host or the person that brings people together. And I think like yeah. you've just completely flipped that perspective in a way that is so like charming and wonderful and like persuasive to everyone that, you know, it's collaboration shouldn't be feared because um, I think we always think of a compromise. But, you know, you're so right in terms of so much to gain and, and you don't have to lose yourself in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I mean I'm not even gonna comment on <laughs> what is written in your notebook because that was just so like beautiful and vulnerable. But I I can just express like so much gratitude to you for sharing it. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was <laughs> Janixa Bravo who who helped me get to that conclusion on collaborations. He she said something similar to that and. I think it's, we are communal beings. We're not that complex people. We need community. We need food, water, clothes, shelter, and love, but especially community and collaboration. And so like, she was like, yeah, I I hosted the dinner party. You know, someone made a a great charcuterie board, but the people who, but when you leave, you're gonna be like, oh my gosh, like, did you try the charcuterie board made by blank at Dio's dinner party? Like, you know, so there's no, there should never be any shame in being, there should never be any shame in speaking about the greatness that other people have brought into your space. Um, I think that would solve so many problems. And I think we would just feel like more assured in our ability to carry out the things that we want to carry out. Yeah. And, and, and that solves, like, I think as a woman of color with my own identities and my own marginalizations, but also with a lot of privilege, something I have had so much trouble figuring out is like, how to take up the right amount of space um, mm-hmm. because you know this year like I'm very much used to either taking a step back or ampl- amplifying um, or doing the work from like behind the scenes and this year regrettably um, I was asked to take up space and last minute I like out of fear said no mm-hmm. um, because I didn't know how to take up the space that was mine to take up Mm-hmm. while also making sure that other people were holding their own space and making sure that I was seeding space. But I think, like, I'm, I'm obsessed with this idea of the dinner party. I'm going to hold it with me forever. I think whether I accept that I'm the one bringing the charcuterie board or accepting the fact that it's my turn to host, right? Everyone has mm-hmm. a turn um, to host and this obligation to host. I think, like, that's such a perfect way to balance that out of, like, you know what, it's my turn to show up and mm-hmm. my turn to contribute. 
and other times it's my turn to be the one that takes up the space or hosts in my space and brings brings people in um i i can't even just express how obsessed i'm gonna be with that from now on but <laughs> like thank you thank you and, and i think it's important for everyone to hear and i'm sure that there's going to be a way for everyone to resonate with that yeah i hope so i think yeah we're all just we're all just here and we're all just trying to figure it out and i think like you said i've also had my and I still do have my my fears and feelings about like taking up space and taking up too much space and like I never want to overshadow someone else but then when I silence myself like who am I hurting me and who am I helping no one because I was invited regardless I was asked regardless and so my ideas are are supposed to be welcomed in this space and I only want to be in spaces where they're welcomed and it's fo- and there's a and there's, and there's a follow through on that like you know you could just say like oh we want your ideas but I want to feel that you want my ideas and I want people to feel that I want their ideas as well so it's a, it's a tricky balance but I think we're we're doing our best to to move through it for sure yeah well Dio I don't think thank I say this pretty much at the end of every episode or I think at the end of every episode. <laughs> But really in this one, especially that little, what you gave us there at the end, like, I don't even think thank you is the proper way um, to extend the gratitude that I know I feel, and I I probably can speak for Vahini, um, (laughs) that she feels as well. Um, But just truly thank you for, you know, taking time out of your day to speak with us. Um, And I just hope that, like, I feel like, meeting you um dio and i had not met before this call um or before this episode but i just feel like meeting you like i i can only hope that i will be better for it um and i hope (laughs) and i only i could only hope that our listeners will be better for the the wisdom and the, the the piece of yourself that you shared with us all today so thank you Thank you so much for those kind, kind words. Oh my gosh. Yes. I thank you again for thinking of me and, and making the time to meet with me and and curating these amazing questions. I had a lot of fun and good laughs and it was a great time. And I love the podcast too. So I'm always happy to to hear my voice now on it. So thank you again. <laughs> All right, Daya. Thank you. All right. Bye everyone. I can't forget the day we met Your eyes so blue